Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Uh, right now I want to talk about uh, environmental issues and climate change. Uh, according to a new report on climate action, Canada's plan to meet its greenhouse gas emissions uh, is actually one of the worst of all the G20 nations. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Steve Applin. Steve, of course, is publisher of Emission Track, which uh, monitors CO2 carbon dioxide emissions from energy use. Uh, first, Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, great to have you on the show again. Great to be back, Bill. Are you surprised by these results? No. It's, uh, we, if you look at what we have to accomplish by 2030, we've got to take around 200 million tons out of our inventory. We don't have a hope of doing this. With a carbon tax, which is, uh, the, in Mia Rapson's report, the one that you're referring to, she referred to an international study that, that commended us on the carbon tax, but that's the one paradoxically, especially if you, on a day like today, when you look at what the carbon tax is accomplishing in Ontario, uh, you know, it made 100 and 100, it's making about 100 grand an hour. Uh, uh, in in revenues to the federal government uh, with all the heating demand that we're using in the province today. And it's having absolutely no effect on our our carbon emissions because we are only other alternative besides natural gas, which is the clean heat that we're uh, using or the cleanest heat that we're using, uh, is Ontario electricity. It's it's about uh, about 10 times cleaner than natural gas, but it is five times more expensive. And the carbon tax isn't closing that gap. It's not even, it's taking us a... Uh, uh, two fifths of a cent towards it. So uh, you know we've got a we've got a 18 cent gap between natural gas and electricity, and the carbon tax is taking us two fifths of one cent towards closing that gap. It's not having the slightest effect. So in in the idea that we're going to close a 200 million ton gap between now and 2030 uh, by attacking uh, the building sector with a carbon tax, it's uh, it's like breaking up the pea shooter with the uh, with the Sherman tank rolling down on you. You've been consistent about this too, Steve, and and I know that there are some people that are, are, are dead set against the carbon tax because they, they maybe don't even believe in climate change. You don't think it's a big deal. Uh, you think this obviously attacking this stuff is a worthy goal, but you, this is the wrong plan, and you've always said that. Yes, I th- well, the, it's it's a very popular way to do it, and it's it's been commanded by all the think tanks and and a lot of the political parties like it. And it, it gives the impression of doing something because it raises money and it costs you money and et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of doing what it's supposed to do, like I said, like I've said many times, our, our goal, our goal ought to be uh, in dealing with climate change, steep, immediate, dramatic, major reductions in CO2 and a carbon tax doesn't accomplish that at all. And especially, again, as I said, uh, applying to Ontario heat on this cold day right across the province where we've got a heat demand of that outstrips electricity demand by around 10,000 uh, 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 megawatts. Uh, we don't have a hope of doing this with a carbon tax that doesn't begin to close the gap between the fuels that it's supposed to. So we've got gas at uh, three cents a kilowatt hour, three three and a half cents a kilowatt hour, versus electricity at, at 22 cents a kilowatt hour. It doesn't matter how much cleaner electricity is than gas. If the price differential is as stark as it is, uh, you, you need a carbon tax of $900 to close that gap, and nobody, no politician in his right mind, in his or her right mind, is going to float such a notion. We're of the G20. There's three uh, nations that uh, that got their knuckles wrapped here. Canada being one of them. The others are South Korea and Australia. But yeah. on the other side of that coin, though, Steve, that indicates that some people are doing it right. What are they doing that we're not doing? Well, I think that the ones that are doing it right, they're probably using a country like Sweden as an example, and Sweden is uh, a, a, actually an excellent example of, it's kind of uh, paradoxical that this uh, young woman, uh, Greta Thunberg, comes from there, and she's criticizing them on their climate action, when in fact, what we should be doing, the entire world should be shooting for what 
Sweden has in the way of electricity. Uh, we're supposed to, the, the only way that we're going to decarbonize energy is by electrifying. And if we electrified the way that Sweden has electrified, mostly nuclear, mostly hydro, and low cost, uh, then you could, then you could uh, accomplish a huge amount. So I think that a lot of uh, a lot of the countries that are doing it right ha- are countries in Scandinavia that are blessed with either a lot of hydro or that have a lot of uh, combination of hydro and nuclear as as their electricity system, because you have to electrify. So I think that uh, those countries are are absolutely doing it right. The, the what what I wish that the the report would have talked about a little bit more is this uh, notion of of Germany, because I've talked about Germany many times. Uh, Germany, and you've got, because they're talking about per capita emissions, you've got Germany right next door to France, and if you look at their per capita emissions from electricity, France is about a fifth of Germany's, and why is that? Well, again, we're looking at a nuclear versus fossil system. So I think that those are the systems that we should be looking at. It's that kind of evidence that we should be looking at in terms of like hard reductions and low-carbon electricity. That's, those are the benchmarks that we should be aiming for. Steve, what happened to nuclear? I mean, that that was the alternative uh, some time ago, and we were building plants, and, and uh, there's a number of advocates for it, but we seem to have turned our back on that. And, and you know, it, it's, it's wind power and, and solar and, and things of this nature. That seems to be where a lot of the focus seems to be. Uh, yet other nations are still using nuclear. Yeah, well, we're, stu- we're, st- we're still using it. We still have a sizable uh, a fleet in Ontario. Yeah. We have got, there are no plans on the books right now to uh, replace uh, one of the plants that's coming down Pickering. Uh, there should be, because uh, and I don't think it would be all that hard, and I don't think that the current government would be antagonistic towards that notion. I just think that uh, major, large capital investments are not seen as being uh, uh, urgently required at this time. And fair enough, I think that that uh, will, will all change. We've got, you know, back to Canada and, and, the, and the report about the, our hopeless cause of, of, of reaching this 2030 target. Uh, we've got two western provinces, Alberta and Saskatchewan, that make up almost all their electricity uh, using fossil fuels. Those are prime candidates for nuclearization, and that's the only way that they're ever going to get those uh, emissions down. Alberta, about 7,000 to 8,000 megawatts base load. Those are running continuously. That's running continuously. That's all fossil. Uh, that system could and should be decarbonized and could be done within a decade, 100% decarbonized. Uh, but using nuclear, but I mean, this this has to get back into the conversation. So your question is a good one. Well, yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I just don't think that the the federal government, especially, doesn't seem to have any appetite for for moving in that direction. Uh, and, and it seems to me, I know it's costly uh, initially. Uh, the, the the capital costs here are immense, but in the long term, I mean, <laughs> Pickering has served this province well. It certainly has. It came in in the early 1970s. It's still cranking up power right now. That's right. This is this. These kinds of things just have to get back onto into the public discussion, and they have to be uh, debated uh, in a in a in a good public forum with all the facts on the table. And once that happens, I mean, we're I we're a a leader in this technology. Uh, we're a world leader. Uh, Ontario is, and and we're our, we've we've achieved the only sort of decolification. And the only way that we could have done that was by bringing back refurb uh, bringing back mothballed nuclear units. Uh, if 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 we start blowing our own horn this way, uh, the previous government, for 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 a number of of, of political and ideological reasons, uh, uh, elected to not uh, blow our own horn in that regard, but should have. If we did, 
uh, we would be seen as a world leader in this. And we're a, certainly a continental leader, like in North America. There's no other jurisdiction that has achieved this kind of uh, energy transition uh, in a, sh- a short amount of time and with the uh, uh, and in such a low-cost way. The problem is, uh, as you uh, referred to earlier, we brought in a, a lot of very inefficient, expensive, and totally unnecessary uh, renewable energy. This is for political popular reasons, ideological reasons. Uh, it's, uh, it's proven to not do what it's, what it's cracked up to, uh, not only in Ontario, but other jurisdictions as well. And I think that uh, uh, the more countries that uh, uh, become apprised of this fact, uh, this is, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, Ontario could also serve as a cautionary tale for, you know, it's led to the, the situation that I referred to earlier, where we've got electricity at 22 cents a kilowatt hour versus gas at three and a half cents a kilowatt hour, and electricity is 10 times cleaner. We should be using electricity, but we're not because it's too expensive, and it's too expensive because we've brought in inefficient uh, sources, and we pay, you know, we pay to not use electricity, which is, uh, which is preposterous. I, I know that if we start reading some of the statistics in this thing, people's eyes are just going to glaze over because you yeah. start talking about all this stuff. But there's one one stat here that I think probably underscores the urgency that we're, we're dealing with here. Uh, we know that the G20 nations account for about 85% of global economic activity, but they also produce 80% of all greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. And, and Canada is one of the worst of, yeah. of that, uh, which uh, indicates to me, and I think to a lot of people, certainly you, you do, Steve, uh, that there, there doesn't seem to be a sense of urgency in what the government's doing. They're taking baby steps here when, like, as you say, drastic measures seem to be required. Absolutely, and 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 we've got and well, the prime minister's meeting with uh, with uh, the the conservative leader and one of the Western premiers this afternoon, and that meeting is going to center on pretty much exactly what what you're talking about here. We've got a situation in the Western provinces where uh, uh, fossil fuels are baked into their electricity. And they're baked into the economy. Half of Alberta's electricity right now is being generated basically by oil sands operators. So uh, taking a shot at that is going is is extremely politically dicey. I don't envy the prime minister for for dealing with this problem. Not only does he not have any representation political representation out there, but just taking a stab at doing what I'm what I'm advocating should be done: well, decarbonizing those electricity systems. That is a politically extremely tough such so the reason why we've got this insipid response to climate change is uh, for that reason we're you know we've uh, we make a lot of money from the oil sands and a lot of the oil sands operators make a lot of their money generating electricity and it's all done through fossil fuels uh taking a shot at that is going to be transformative disruptive it's going to have uh, it's going to involve major uh, shifts in employment and uh, uh, I don't blame politicians for not wanting to uh, take that on. But there are leaders, and uh, that kind of work has to get done, and uh, we're going to have to seriously discuss these transformations that are going to occur whether we like it or not. Well, we're in one of these circumstances right now where even those that I think understand the, the, the depth of the concern here with, with climate change, uh, there is no political will here because there's no public will to do anything that drastic. That's right. If you if you you know you can you can poll all you want, people you know, and people will will correctly answer yes, they're concerned about climate change, and this is because they've heard it on the news. It is an important and vital issue. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the political response it's akin to if you're standing by the road on a day like today with uh, you know a wind chill of minus seventeen, uh, uh, getting into that car and and getting warm. 
uh, using a very politically incorrect fuel like gasoline, uh, you know, it's not going to be that. It's not going to dissuade you from from using it because it it does it does what it is advertised to do, which is provide energy. So uh, th- these are the these are the and you know multiply that all across the country, and this is you know this is the situation you've got. All our transportation equipment, almost all our transportation equipment, is fossil fueled. All our heating equipment, almost all our heating equipment, is fossil fueled. This has to get electrified, and while there could be major opportunities, there are going to be disruption in some industries. And like I said, a politician that is trying to lead the way uh, towards a low-carbon economy is going to have to, you know, honestly answer these questions that that we're uh, discussing here, uh, because they're going to be transformations, and uh, this is uh, we're it's underway right now as we speak. Scandinavian countries seem to take a, a much different attitude, though, and, and I'm talking about the public too, not just the elected leaders. Uh, you know, they they seem to be understanding of the fact that look, at if we're going to do this, it's going to cost us all a little bit more, but it's going to be okay in the long run, and that's that's why they've got a superior healthcare system, a superior education system, and and obviously their approach to environment is different. Uh, yeah, they do pay a lot more in taxes than we do, but we've we've got this mindset here that we don't want the government's hand in our pocket, and you know, I guess the old adage, you get what you pay for. Yeah, well, in Scandinavia and and, and going back to Sweden, uh, the every, everything that you say, I I don't disagree with. Uh, except their electricity sector is extremely low cost. Their their electricity is the cleanest in the EU, or uh, in, in, cleanest in in Europe, and it's among the cheapest in Europe. So clean and cheap. That's the type of electricity that you absolutely need. I would submit that a lot of their social programs and a lot of their um, their tolerance of of maybe a higher level of taxation elsewhere uh, is made possible by this low energy cost they've got for the fundamental energy in their lives, which is electricity. With that being cheap, they can afford, there's room to maneuver tax-wise on, on a whole bunch of different files. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But that is the backbone, and, and we've gone in absolutely the wrong direction here in Ontario with making, deliberately, making electricity more expensive. Well, it's uh, going to be interesting in Ottawa this afternoon when the Prime Minister and, uh, and Mr. Shear and uh, I believe it's Premier Moe are going to be getting together. Yeah, that's right, Scott. Uh, what are the chances of them coming out there shaking hands and say, we're all on the same page now? <laughs> Very low. <laughs> Very low. But, but the yeah, same I, as the, I, I, about the same I, as the senators winning the Stanley Cup this year. Uh, the senators winning, yeah, maybe about the same. I, I think <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, there was no seats out west. Uh, what, what can the prime minister offer them that's not going to alienate people who did vote for him? So it's uh, he's got a he's got a tough job. Like I said, I don't envy him. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's uh, part of the job. You gotta you gotta you gotta meet and 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 deal with people uh, who are your enemies. Absolutely. Well, we'll see what happens this afternoon as a starting point anyway. Thanks as always, Steve. Great talking with you again. Always a pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Take care. Steve Applin, of course, of uh, Emission Track. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.